Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, everyone. So happy to be here again today. I have a guest today that I'm very excited about. I've followed him for many, many years. I have read all of his books. It is the wonderful Raymond Moody. He is a renowned scholar, lecturer, and researcher, and is widely recognized as a leading authority on near-death experience as he has coined the term NDE, Dr. Moody's research into the phenomenon of the near-death experience had its start way back in the 1960s. The New York Times calls him the father of near-death experience. He is the best-selling author of many books, including Life After Life, Glimpses of Eternity, The Light Beyond and Coming Back. Dr. Moody's work profoundly illuminates our understanding of death, dying, and grief and offers compelling answers to, is there an afterlife? So welcome to the show, Dr. Moody. It's so wonderful to have you here. Nina, it's just great for me to thank you for this opportunity. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, going through all of my notes, my books, other books that you're working on, I kind of had to narrow down today what I really wanted to get in this hour that we're going to be together. And, you know, it's almost like you, your, your whole career has been such an adventure and you've led, you've been led. And it started very early. And one of the one stories that I, it goes back to 1965, three years after you learned about near-death experiences, you met a living person who had actually had one. And it wasn't talked about the way it is now. Is now, I mean, we hear about it all the time. But uh, his name was Dr. George Ritchie, and I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit of what that was like for you in the beginning. Yes, I should say that I was not raised religious. My dad was a sort of free thinker and cynical about religion in my early life, so I wasn't exposed to that stuff. And I just, the idea of an afterlife was not in my head. But when I was 18 years old in 1962, I found out about these things and the writings of Plato, and I was very intrigued by it. I was a philosophy major, but three years later, in 1965, I heard that a professor of psychiatry there at the University of Virginia, Dr. George Ritchie, had such an experience himself and was willing to talk with students about it. So I listened to George, and I mean, I just, it, was, it changed my life that one, that one time. He talked about the near-death experience he had when he was pronounced dead of double, low, no, double lobar pneumonia in an hosp- army hospital in Texas. Wow. And uh, from his point of view, got out of his body, saw his entire life in review. And uh, came back transformed. I can honestly say that I've known a lot of people in my life, but George was the finest person I ever knew. And the, the feeling of God that came through George's talk was just almost palpable. 
that was really what inspired me to get busy um, studying these experiences. So that's when you really learned about, you know, the panoramic view that everybody talks about, where we get such a, a clear kind of image. And this is the part of where we think we're going to go into the afterlife and be judged. And I love how you talk about this. Yeah, George was was raised in a sort of fundamentalist Presbyterian framework. It's very rigid. And George said that uh, in that context, the very worst thing you could do uh, from uh, that was sure to send you to hell was to have any sort of uh, sexual uh, infraction. And so George said at the age of 20, when this happened to him, he said at that time, by that time, he had had a very active uh, sexual career, not all of it with the opposite sex. So he said there were all these things vividly portrayed that Christ, who was there with him, could see this and all of these things and which he, you know, his sexual he was worried he'd be judged about that behavior, right? And he felt, oh my gosh, you know, this is the worst. And I remember to this day the look of still surprise and, and relief that George had on his face. Uh-huh. And he commented about that when he commented on Christ's attitude toward these sexual things was, quote, he didn't even mention them. And so what George said that what God was interested in is how he had learned to love. And that is what I hear universally from people with near-death experiences, that religious ideology doesn't count. It's a very direct experience of you and God, and the question is love. And you talk about, you know, and I love this too, is is our stories. God's interested in our stories. Yeah. And we all have a lot of stories, all different kinds of stories, even, you know, tragic stories, what's happening on our earth right now. These are stories and it being the illusion that we're living in. Is that the right way to say it, Dr. Moody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, um, I got a PhD in philosophy before I went to medical school. And one of the big philosophical puzzles since antiquity is what is it that con- constitutes our individual personal identity? Oh, and Plato got the ball started by saying that, that what really is us is our immaterial soul and that the body is an all, always changing sort of temporary combination of animals. But... Um, but then, eventually, this people grew weary of this. Thomas Hobbes in the 1600s began to talk about how the notion of a, of a immaterial soul didn't make any sense. And John Locke, who was kind of one of the forebears of our Constitution, mm-hmm. said that personal identity consisted of your memories. Well, I was a forensic psychiatrist for a while, and I can tell you that memory for many people is not what is uh, supposedly uh, mm-hmm. by many of us. So, so um, my thinking about this leads me to think that what it, what is your personal identity except your life story, right? Correct. It's the, all the things that have happened to you and the 
course of your life. Mm-hmm. And life is story. Even your conscious mind is sort of geared to creating a narrative, right? It's like whenever some new things happen to you, you incorporate them in your continuing life story. Mm-hmm. And you think about how people just love stories, you know, from childhood right through on old age. So I think that this, this life we lead is a kind of story. And that after, when we die, there's a sort of 180-degree turnaround and time stands still. And you get to see all of the events of your life from the perspective of the other characters Hmm. and actually get to experience directly how your actions, good and bad, have affected the other characters in your life, the other people with whom you've interacted. So life is story. Um, I've been working on this idea for quite a while, and several years ago I was down at the Bahamas, down in the Bahamas at a uh, Hindu ashram. And after I talked about all this, the, the Swami came up to me and he said, yeah, Raymond, that's exactly what the Hindus have decided. He Interesting. said, we think that this... This life is a, is a sort of story or a drama. You know, I want to interject in here just for one thing that you had and uh, in the book that you're working on right now. Um, Plato claimed that the body is a jailhouse of the soul. And That's he right. portrayed dying people as joyous escapees. That just made me giggle and feel like dancing when I read that. As long as they had led a life in pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. That little, I, it might be paraphrased a little bit, that quote there, mm-hmm. it just made me think to myself in my own life, like all the different things that I've done, all the different places I've gone, the good, the bad, whatever it is, but through it, gaining knowledge and wisdom with all of it, you know, I thought, oh yeah, I, I really love the idea of, of being an escapee. <laughs> I just yeah. really loved that when I read it. Yes. The wonderful, sweet, kind-hearted Ellie Wiesel was a Nobel Prize winner in literature in the 60s, and mm-hmm. as I recall. And Ellie said, God made man because he loves stories. Yes. I think God is watching our stories right along with us and even sort of co-participating in our lives. I agree with that very much so. I really do. And and. You know, these people that have had these near-death experiences, and I like what Richie said. I'm going to digress here just a little bit, but I think it's important to mention it, uh, Dr. Moody, is that they're people that have had near-death experiences and, and had uh, the, the panoramic view of their lives. They come back, and one of the things that I always thought that their life was going to be really different, they weren't going to have the troubles that we had, uh-huh. or they were going to work through stuff a lot easier than I would. And I was so surprised to read in some of your reading, and I did hear it from one other NDE that I was working with, that as you put it in your quoting from your um, book that you're working on, which we're going to get into a little bit later, to put it more bluntly, let's face it, it's very difficult to get through the average day without wanting to choke at least one person. Absolutely. We're human. That's my wording of the idea that I've heard from many people. And George Ritchie said, you know, one time he told me, he said, Raymond, this experience makes your life even more of a burden and a way. Yes. Because, he said, 
that you see this vision of love and the complete importance of love. And yet that is very difficult to put that into practice on a daily level. And I saw George a number of times sort of get furious and say mean things to people. But, you know, the overall picture is that he was just the finest guy I ever knew in my life. He was completely human. And also he was kind of like, I think George was halfway on the other side. He, uh, his wife, Marguerite, was a wonderful Southern belle from Richmond where mm-hmm. George was from. Mm-hmm. And um, Marguerite was so sweet and she was kind of concrete. And she was always just kind of astonished at the things that George would do. Like she told me that one time they were driving through Washington, D.C. And this was a long time ago. Okay. And they got lost. So George pulled over to the curb and got out a map to try to figure out where they were. And Marguerite said that suddenly George just snapped to and he said, Marguerite, that young man is going to commit a murder. And she looked and she saw a young man walking along the sidewalk beside the car. And George leaped out of the car and went chasing the young man down. And uh, he told Marguerite that the Lord had told him to go get that young man who was about to commit a murder. And it was true. Oh, and, you know, I mean, there there were things like that all the time about him. He, he was pretty amazing. You know, do you think, Dr. Marie, it's like I've had a lot of shared experiences myself. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives you a kind of wisdom that can be kind of hard to live with sometimes. Like exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about with him where you get these these feelings or senses about different people and different things. And so it's almost like because of the NDE or because of the shared experiences, your human body, yes, you're still limited to wanting to choke people, but there's another level of maybe, I don't know if the right word is consciousness or another level of, how about a higher vibration where you're just, you drive along and you feel stuff like he did. I have that a lot when I'm in the car. Sometimes it's very hard for me to look at people because I'll start to feel stuff. And so, Do you think that that kind of comes with that? Well, when you've had these experiences and you've been close to the other side or you have one foot in the other side or however people put it? Well, lots of people who've had near-death experiences tell me that afterwards they were able, they had their intuition about other people was picked up, that they, you know, that they were picking up on people's feelings and and hard Become more sensitive. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. The other thing that um, you touched on really beautiful was, you know, and, and I found this too, is working with um, the elderly that, and changing gears here a little bit, is when they get to a point where there's just a knowing. And you've talked about this too, where you get to the point of your life where there's just, you just want to be of service. You really don't care about that's, anything else. That's right. It's, it's just the older you get, it's like the more you see that service is where the action is. I mean, right. you know, I like to say I am sick and tired of Raymond Moody. You know, it's like what interests me now is doing things, most importantly, for my kids and grandchild right. and family. But also, I mean, it, it goes further out in a way, too. I mean, it's like, to a point. You know, by the way, I am not really religious, um, 
but but I, I read something one time that Jesus said. It's in the book of John, apparently. Okay. He said um, that I don't pray for the world. He said, I pray for the ones right around me that God has given me responsibility for. And I saw that immediately because, you know, I am so sorry for those people in Somalia, but I am not confident competent to come up with some solution and send it up to God with requests he do it. You see what I mean? It's like um, I, am, I am not in a position to be able to figure out what I should pray about the poor souls in Somalia. I've got to just sort of leave that over to God, you know, yes. and I just, it, it I mean, I see all the time on religious things on TV when you're uh, people, it's like we're praying for this or that, or, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just praying about things they have no idea how to solve mm -hmm. and putting their proposed solution in the prayer and sending it up to God. Mm -hmm. To me, that's just ridiculous. And Yes. And as you get towards the end of your life, I just think you kind of organically, if you've, you know what I've witnessed is that you just kind of organically are, you're getting prepared, whether, I mean, and I was talking to my 82-year-old auntie today, and she was just saying how she's, she's ready to go when it's time, but it's like those stories that we talk about, and I think this is a really important part of our conversation today that I really want people to get is the stories, whether they're tragic stories, whether they're happy stories, no matter what the story is, they're God likes, loves your story, whatever that is. And sure. I think as you get towards the end of life and you're elderly, I even witnessed this in my own, you know, in my partner's mom too, where she likes to talk about it or she gets sad about it. But it's, it's everything up until this point that you've lived a life. And, and it's yeah. just a really important part of life, period, whether you're religious or not. You've, you've developed a story right. about your life. Every person's death brings a number of storylines to a close. We have to go to break. I didn't even see the note. Can I? Can we come back to that, Dr. Yeah. Moody? We'll be right back. That was so quick. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina Ampala are $250, and if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, 
Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back with Dr. Raymond Moody, and we were discussing stories, Dr. Moody. And I think this would be a good place to talk about your book that you're working on called God is Bigger Than the Bible. And in relation to stories, I'm going to quote a little something here from the book. From the stories of thousands, a portrait emerges of a kind and merciful God, a God who is not punishing or judgmental, as is the God of our religious texts. From people's accounts globally of many religions and many cultures, God is described in every shape and size of every denomination, sometimes with a face, sometimes without, and sometimes as an awe-inspiring light or deep tranquility. God is depicted in as many ways as there are people who have died and returned to share their afterlife experiences, and the profile of God that emerges of all these accounts is different than the God we hear about in the pulpits of our churches and Bible study classes. So I'm going to have you elaborate on that, Dr. Moody, because it's just, it's really beautiful. And you're not being a religious person, but able to speak so openly about God. Well, yeah, you know, I um, it looks to me like um, that we have various ways of um, running away from God. And, one of them seems to me to be rigid religious beliefs. Um, you know, when somebody asks me, as they often do, Raymond, do you believe that God exists? I say, absolutely not. And then I go on to explain that I, Raymond Moody, am a limited human being. And any belief that I could formulate about God would be bound to be off base in some dimension or another. Yes. Plus, if you think about that sentence, do you believe that God exists? The emphasis of that sentence is on the word exist. Yeah. Now, as a logician, I was a professor of logic, and I, it took me about an hour, but we could sit down and I could explain to you what the concept of existence is. And I could even 
show you how to symbolize it in logical symbolism. Yes. But when it comes to God, I give up. God is greater than the human concept of existence. You know, it's the great um, German mystic, Meister Eckhart. I was reading recently some things he wrote, and I noticed he, he said the same thing I do, which is that to, to apply the human concept of existence to God mm-hmm. or to say that God does not exist is equally fallacious. God is much greater than even the human concept of existence. What I say is, I have a relationship with God. I see some people get so, you know, one of their focuses of life is trying to prove that God exists or talking about existence and God and their beliefs and so on. Right. To me, it's a matter of my relationship with God. And mm-hmm. I enjoy God. I really do. I it's, um, uh, I mean, it's just the most fun relationship. And, um, and you know, and there's humor in it. That's and a true statement. astonishing things happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not all just Pollyanna and sweetness and light. There's tough things in life. There is. But overall, you know, my I have had experiences of which direct personal encounters with God. And uh, everybody who has had that kind of experience, you know that you have to receive it passively. Right. I, I used to kind of make fun of religious people in my mind for doing things like bowing down to God. I mean, I thought, how ridiculous. I mean, there's kind of some kind of idea that you can flatter God by kneeling to him or whatever. I mean, I just thought that was ridiculous. Then when I had my own direct personal experience with God, I was sitting in a chair and I just, I just oozed out of the chair I and mean, just collapsed onto the floor. It wasn't that I was, you know, kneeling before God to express my respect or anything. It was just that in the presence of God, you just can't stand up. You know, That's your right. muscles just collapse to yes. a little heap. And it's a very delightful experience. <laughs> I love the way you put that. And also awesome. I mean, there is a darkness to it. And that sounds like shivers, but no, it's a wonderful, comforting, sweet, embracing darkness. And I think it represents our incomprehension. I mean, we cannot comprehend God. God is far beyond any of our cognitive faculties. It's, it's, but God is not beyond our relationship faculties. Mm-hmm. You have in your book that God is greater than existence itself. Yeah. That's a really powerful sentence. It really is. You know, when you look at being and interviewing all the people that you've interviewed, I'm going to say thousands of people that have had NDEs. Would that be a correct statement? Mm, Yeah. 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 Thousands of people that have had NDEs. How could you not have know that, you know, your own personal relationship with God and the stories of our lives are so personal as well, you know, and Just even in the little bit of time that I've been doing my own research and then looking at my own life, thinking, wow, I've got quite a story to tell, you know, all the things that I've done in my life that I'm, there's been sad stuff, there's been happy stuff, but it has been a life lived. And that to me would be the tragedy, you know, in anybody's life that, you know, you just got to live it and 
take what comes. And when you're talking about the experiences that you've had, those are your personal experiences that nobody else has had, only you. So when you're talking about your personal relationship with God, it it is bigger than the Bible. It's so much bigger than that. Yeah. And it makes it, and it makes it so, like you said, beautiful and awe-inspiring. And when we have these experiences where our body just feels like it could melt, I know for myself, when I can be in a really peaceful place and, and just connect, oh man, the sense of peace is just, it's beautiful. It's not an easy thing to find right now. It is. And I've come to think that a religious ideology or a set of rigid beliefs is actually a way of running away from a relationship with God. It becomes all abstract and the idea of, you know, the religious ideologies and Bible Mm -hmm. verses, and they feel like they've got to have an answer to every question. And there is. I'm perfectly comfortable in saying, I don't know. And, you know, there's very little I know about God. And at the same time, the relationship that I have with God is about the most important relationship I have. Yes, that's true. You know, you talk about, there's a, a beautiful video on your website, and, and uh, Dr. Moody's website is lifeafterlife.com, where you say something so simple, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about it, just to kind of bring clarity to it, is that dying is... Going from, tell me if I say this right, Dr. Moody, one, um, going from one consciousness to another. It's a transformation of consciousness. Is that true or did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's what, you know, the way people describe their near-death experiences to me, it's like a change from one state of consciousness that we experience here and consciousness expands, and the, the time-space coordinates we use to orient ourselves in this life just kind of disappear, and yeah. you are in the presence of complete love. One that we can't even imagine here on Earth, because I know every near-death experiencer I'd ever talked to said, oh, well, Dr. Ritchie, Put, um, which I'd never heard that before. He said, it's like being hypnotized. Yeah, that's right. I've never heard anybody say that. That was really interesting because, you know, to ask them to describe what they felt, there usually are no words. And that's the first time I've read where anybody has said, it's being, it's like being hypnotized, which would make sense because you're in another state of mind completely. That's right. And I, George, I heard George say that. And when I was an undergraduate in college, and uh, mm-hmm. then when about uh, 20 years ago, I had my first direct encounter with God, I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, in, in, in talking about God is bigger than the Bible, there's another thing that I think just another statement I think that helps is that holy books are our only one route to God. It, it's like that's putting that's putting God in a box, right? Yeah, and right. and it's one route, definitely. But working with uh, near death experiencers, me myself in hospice, having so many shared experiences in my own life, 
some of them, you know, I would get in the car after being with a patient and I, I would, I never really called it a shared experience for years, but I knew that something took place. One time I'll tell a quick little story. I was um, with this lady and um, the room is completely dark. She was sensitive to any kind of light and her skin was sensitive too. So the blanket was kind of raised and I was just holding her hand and talking to her very gently and she said, you're an angel. And she saw all this light around me. And uh, I just listened to her. And she said, do you see the light? Do you see the light around you? And I just was so blown away. I remember getting in the car going, what just happened? It was in the very beginning of my career. Now, I would have, you know, totally thought, oh, I just, I was halfway there with her, wherever she was going. And she died very soon after that. But wow, you know, and that's not something I'd find in a book that was part of my life story and my, my, my journey that I'm on. It is amazing to witness that transformation of people on the verge of death. And if, if, the, if people listening to this have seen it themselves, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. If they haven't heard, seen it for themselves, they'll probably think that I must be out of my mind. But <laughs> I can tell you, and I'm sure that you too, Nina, have noticed this, that People are obtunded and days and days pass and there's no response, right? And then suddenly they, it's like they wake up and they, if you've seen this, you see they seem more alive than alive. Yes. And they brought, they break out on a light, a beautiful light around them. They completely coherently tell everybody at the bedside a message and then they just turn over and die. It's yeah. And it's most it's, amazing thing. And it's something that, you know, I just, I don't, I never understood why people would question that. I, I, you know, I've had patients, you know, let me know that their mom's there and their dad's there and they're saying, do you see them? And I'm saying, no, but I'm glad you do, you know, and I think that's part of their story. And it's also part of the great mystery, you know, the parts that we don't know about God. But what my feeling is when a person is getting ready to die, they have ears and eyes to see things that we can't and hear things that we can't. I truly believe that happens at the time of death. What is your feeling on that? I saw that all the time in my clinical years, and it is just about the most amazing thing you've ever seen. I remember I went on my medical rotation, I went into a room, this woman in her 80s, and she was uh, talking to her deceased relatives, I gather, and I sat by the bedside and she looked at me and she said oh Dr. Moody I know what you're thinking you're thinking that I'm just hallucinating this is an old woman you know um, they're delirious or whatever and I, I said oh no no ma'am I no. have heard this from so many people and um, yeah, you know it is, it is just a part of the dying process yeah well you know we know from people like Eben Alexander you know these, oh yeah, Evan is one. Of my Evan Alexander, yeah, this the the you know the very scientific mind that these neurosurgeons have and brain surgeons have their their brains are just so incredible, you know that it's very hard for them to wrap around their their that what I would call right side of the brain stuff, you know where it's like, are you you know where they want to give it a scientific explanation? I guess that's what I'm trying to say, and then it happens to them, you know. Probably a lot like your friend George Ritchie, wasn't he, um, um, before he had his near-death experience, he was a professor of 
What was it? Philosophy? Actually, George was, um, he had his near-death experience when he was a recruit in the Army at the age of 20, and he was pronounced dead of double lobar pneumonia. And he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, he wasn't even in medical school at that time. So then mm-hmm. he went on and throughout his medical career, he always, uh, you know, openly acknowledged to his patients that he had had this profound life-changing experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and, and it's, it, and it is a life-changing experience because they're, their whole view of life completely changes. So like what they were going to do is not going to happen. Now it's going to go in a completely different direction. That's right. Yeah. And I, I never, you know, I always wonder, uh, you know, about the people that have had near death experiences. And so um, I interviewed a young man on my show not long ago. His name is Chris Batts and he committed suicide and had an incredible near death experience. Yeah. And I just, to me, that, that was the story that I really wanted to share with everyone because you know, even talking to a friend today, you know, might as well talk about what is going on right now. And um, she was telling me about how the suicide rate's gone up in teens. Heartbreaking, you know, because either they're not able to express what they need to express. Their lives have changed so drastically without their friends, sports, school, all these things that they're getting depressed. And his message was so important to get out there you know, to not judge yourself. And, and of course, going back to this story, the story of COVID right now that we're in and all of the changes, the world changes that we're all having to face and change in our lives and to maybe ease it up a little bit. Dr. Moody, it's like, this is the story we're in right now. Right now, this is the story right. that we're in. There you go. Yeah. Well, personally, I hope I don't get it. Same. But because I right now I have a 22-year-old and a 19-year-old that are still at home, and I want to continue to serve them for yeah. until they can get on their own feet. But yes. more than that, I worry about somebody, you know, one of my family members having it as yeah. my work. That, yeah, that can and, be. Um, so there's another way of looking at it, though, and that, um, you know, this is a wonderful historical uh, opportunity to watch an, um, an historic event taking place in real time. Yes. So, you know, I also thank God for allowing me to have this experience of of witnessing firsthand a pandemic, which mm-hmm. is something I was fascinated by, by since medical school, and I've read the histories of the great pandemics. Yes. And um, so I'm saying thank you, God, for letting me be a direct witness, and, you know, I just pray that my own kids don't get, um, um, you know, Get it. it. Yeah. And I, my whole feeling on that is I always tell people just be curious about what's happening right now. Just be curious about it. Be curious and and see what's going to unfold here on our planet. You see things that's like I remember reading about uh, during the uh, smallpox plague, what they called pox parties. Okay. People would get together and infect each other with the 
cowpox, right, which was the, the lesser version of smallpox that would confer immunity. And then I was just astonished the other day when I was reading about the COVID parties, right, the same idea now manifested in the 21st century by people whom I assume had never read about the pox parties. Okay, okay. I didn't know that either. I didn't read about that myself. So it's interesting. I want to um, switch gears a little bit because I want you to talk a little bit about um, how, why, I should say, if you want to talk about your, well, you, you started a little book club while you're writing your book, God is Bigger Than the Bible, which I think is so interesting in a really great way to work on your book. What led you to write this book? I mean, it came into your life now and the timing of it and everything, Dr. Moody, because yeah. it's really fascinating. I was, I've read like the first four, five chapters, I think I've gotten. Yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful the way you are bringing God into the world with this book. I And I love the title of it as well. You know, I think some people might see that title and be taken aback by it. But they when are we're taken aback by it. It creates in many people something called cognitive dissonance. Okay. Which seem to be two things that you seem to know coming into collision. And um, I was about, and the way this book came about really was um, it, just over the years, the decades and decades that I have taught with people near with near-death experiences, I have just absorbed their ideas and attitudes toward God, and that was what me, brought me into a personal relationship with God, was what I heard from all these other people about their experiences. So just gradually, step by step, I decided to put all this together and to put it in a book, because I figured there got to be, like me, many, many people out there who don't have any organized religion, and yet who uh, seek a relationship with God. So that's what the book is about. It's about uh, essentially 12 thoughts that I've had about God uh, that have come to me through my research into near-death experience. It's really beautiful. I, I think it's really great, and I, and I uh, encourage other people to you know, take it and look at it because because of your history, you know, and your background, you come from a very, very, and all your degrees that you've got as well and all the research that you've done. Um, and the fact that someone can say, I'm not religious, but I have a relationship with God. To me, that's a really beautiful thing. And the way you talk about it is bring so much beauty into it. I know I can say myself, you know, I was... I was raised Catholic, and the Catholics really don't read the Bible. We have things that happen at church, so I was never really quite acquainted with it myself. And there were times in my life where I just had to pull away from that to figure out what it was for me and what it meant to me. And being a very spiritual woman, is it's I went out and you know studied Hindu faith and. Um, even that incredible devotion to the Blessed Mother, she always feels like mom to me. That, and then when I went back into um, my Catholic faith, it became even greater and more beautiful and bigger, and opened me up mystically, I should say, you know, than the mystical experiences I had when my mother was dying. 
it was so profound. I will never, ever forget it. And it's because of all the work that I've done and all the research like yourself, just looking yeah. around and reading other things. And, you know, and just even Dr. Moody with the near-death experiences, it shows to me how great God is and how amazing our lives are. Your individual life, whatever you're going through in this time, is important. That is absolutely right. And I know that some people can uh, use their religion to get closer to God. And I think there's lots of other people who use their religion almost as a way of avoiding a relationship with God. Because it's pretty scary, I guess, for many people, the idea. But um and to me, I just, it's relationship is what it's all about. God is, it's fun to hang out with God. It really is. It is. And most of this podcast, you know, the whole time we've been talking today, it's about and about relationship and it's been about stories. And if you, you know, if some people could be listening today going, oh, what are they talking about? You know, God is bigger than the Bible. But the way that it's put, it's the Bible's been written by human hand, Correct. And so, how could we not go out of that box and see how incredibly great God is and the personal relationship that you have with Him? It opens you up to have experiences that I don't think you would have if you didn't decide to go out of that box. It's a big statement for me to say, but that's the way it's been for me, you know, where it's been on the mountaintop or it's been under a tree or it's been with a loved one dying or even a stranger that's dying that I'm helping which used to happen to me all the time. People would just come to me and then later on I would find out, oh, this person's got a terminal disease or this person's dying. I just moved and the, I just found out that the person next door to me is terminal. It's like it follows me because that's where God wants me to be. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, it's, um, I'm always kind of amazed at people thinking they have to be formal around God. <laughs> You know, with these and bounds and all sorts of formal, rigid rules and regulations. And uh, I think it looks to me like these things are mostly manifestations of human fear. I mean, it's abstractly, it's a pretty fearful idea of being in the direct presence of Almighty God. And even though it sounds forbidding verbally in the reality it's the most satisfying thing there is i saint augustine once said that in talking about the satisfaction and the joy he gained from his relationship with god he said that uh the relationship with god is insatiable satisfaction oh that's really beautiful it's an oxymoron and i think it hits the head on the nail exactly I, I think that you're right about that. I do. I think that you're right about that. Are you? Are you currently? Um, well, you're writing. You're writing this book right now, and then there was another book about nonsense. Yes. Um, yes. What's what was the name of that? My my latest book is called Making Sense of Nonsense. Okay. And the subtitle of it is The Logical Bridge Between Science and Spirituality, and um, you see, as I said in Life After Life, my first book at the very beginning, that I came to these near-death experiences um, 
from the point of view of a philosophy professor who is most interested in logic and philosophy of language. And in 1969, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on a subject related to nonsense. And, um, you know, if you look around the world, you see that people love nonsense. Dr. Seuss's books, Hold On to Your Hat, yes. have sold over 600 million copies worldwide. And people my age will remember doo-wop music, nonsense put together with meaningful parts in the yes. 50s and 60s, or Louis Armstrong and scat singing and the wonderful Ella Fitzgerald and... <sighs> The playground rhymes, one bright day in the middle of the night, two dead boys got up to fight, and that we remember from childhood, right? And so nonsense is a very big part of our lives, but we don't like the word. And in the philosophy of language, nonsense is an entirely separate realm of language that has structure and different types of nonsense. Listen to these three sentences. Um, "'Twas Brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave." Plainly, that's nonsense. But listen to this. Um, "'Holiness breeds the vestigial lipstick of spontaneity.'" That's nonsense, too, but it's a different type than the first type. Or, listen to this. "'That cannibal you men just ate was the last one in this city.'" That's nonsense, too, but a different type. I've cataloged over 70 different types of nonsense, which may seem abstract, except that in the real world, nonsense of various types has always been a very intimate part of the spiritual search. In Christianity, for example, there is speaking in unknown tongues, or glossolalia, which consists of utterances of of um, nonsense syllables taken from the speaker's own language and put together to avoid meaningful combinations or grammatical structures. And you find that if you just let yourself go and you spew out these this speaking in unknown tongues, you don't need an ecstatic state to get it started. But if when you continue it long enough, you get into a wonderful, fascinating, ecstatic state of consciousness. And there are many other examples, koans, you know, like what, what is the sound of one hand clapping in the, in the Zen Buddhist tradition and so many other traditions. So nonsense is a part of our lives that we have sort of neglected. And so in my book, nonsense, uh, Making Sense of Nonsense, I talk about my research on nonsense and this specifically and specifically about how this enables us to uh, investigate near-death experiences in an exciting new way. As a matter of fact, to put it briefly, um, I can show in the book, I show in the book that um, we can actually reformat our minds so that when subsequently we happen to have a near-death experience, we will be able to articulate it more clearly for others. And you know, one of the most common things people with near-death experiences say is, no matter how articulate they may be, they say, I just don't have the words. There are no words. And well, someone else- I, have, I have created a workaround for that problem, and it's already worked at least once. 
a very eminent scientist and, uh, and artist, had a near-death experience some years after attending my seminar on nonsense. And while he was um, in his near-death experience, he said, Raymond, I realized when I was over there that what you said is correct, that you can't understand how this world is connected to that world unless you take, quote, the unintelligibility axis into account, which is exactly, I guess, how a physicist would say it. That is wonderful and beautiful. I love that. We could have like a whole nother show just on that book. We're coming to a close now, uh, Dr. Moody, and this has just been so fascinating, all of it. It's been fascinating, Nina. Thank you for this, and thank you so much to all the folks listening in, too. Oh, you're so welcome. for being with us. Yes, and and go to um, lifeafterlife.com and uh, check out Dr. Moody and what he's working on. He's always working on something. So thank you so much for sharing with us today all of your insight, knowledge, and wisdom, Dr. Moody. I really really great show oh thank you this just been great and again thanks so much to the people listening in no problem take good care bye now Bye-bye. so here we are again it went so quickly today and it was so wonderful all these different insights from dr moody i hope you all really enjoyed it it's um it's important I want the show to always get to people and bring hope, bring love, bring wellness. Remember, your story is important, whatever story you're in right now. I want to do a little announcement for uh, Father Nathan. He is holding a webinar next Monday. Go to his site, nathan-castle.com, and you'll see it. It's only $25, and he's going to be talking about his book. It's an hour, and I trust you, it will be fascinating. So, if you want to sign up, go to nathan-castle.com. And in the meantime, we've got another great show for you next week. I'm so happy for everybody listening. The show's doing great, and it's all because of you. So, thanks so much. Be careful out there. Stay well. Remember how beautiful your heart is, and I wish you peace. Goodbye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.